This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. My first stop when I make my way into the, uh, the building here at uh, Zoomerplex in Liberty Village, Toronto, is uh, to the mailroom just off reception before I head on down the long corridor to the studio to begin the show. And in the mailroom, uh, as you can probably imagine... Uh, being the host of a conspiracy show, I get some pretty fascinating mail, <laughs> hastily scrawled uh, uh, notes uh, in cursive from uh, alleged alien abductees, and uh, of course I get some great books. I just received this in the mail. It's a uh, those who uh, who follow the the podcast and who follow me on Twitter may be familiar with Eastern Violet who has sort of coined the term dinner and a podcast because when she listens to the podcast of The Conspiracy Show, she's, she's always cooking uh, up something out there on the East Coast. And uh, she lets us know on uh, Twitter, and if you want to follow along, it's at Richard Serrett. Anyway, uh, she warned me that she was going to pop something in the mail for me, and uh, she gave me, uh, you know, Scout's honor that it wasn't sarin gas or anything like that, or anthrax. Uh, however, it just arrived, and it's... It's a book, JFK, The Cuba Files, The Untold Story of the Plot to Kill Kennedy. And I'm familiar with the book, Fabian Escalante, The Secret War. Uh, and it's a great book on JFK. I've not read all of it, uh, but along with that came a, uh, a card, a SpongeBob SquarePants card. And it says, Richard, I found this book at the airport in Veradero, Cuba. That's a good place to find it. Of course, I bought it on the spot. The cashier lit right up when she saw the title and in broken English said, This is true. All books are meant to be shared. Feel free to pass it on when you're done. Happy reading, and I'll continue to listen happily. And that's from uh, Heather Todd, a.k.a. Eastern Violet, who listens every week to the podcast. Thank you for that. And also received, uh, this was uh, via email, uh, but it's from another Richard in Wisconsin. A couple of weeks ago on the program, I was uh, talking about my nephew uh, in Brantford, Ontario, who bagged a coyote. Apparently, in Brant County, there is a bounty on coyotes. So he was at a friend's farm, and he just recently uh, earned his hunting license, saw this coyote, and shot it. Now, 
I'm getting this story via his mother, who is my sister. And she said that he said this critter weighed upwards of, I believe she said, over 100 pounds. Now, that spawned a lot of mail. And I just received this from Richard in Wisconsin. Rich, huge fan for years, going way back to days at another radio station that will remain nameless. The other night, you mentioned a picture of a rather large coyote taken up there. As a coyote hunter, could you send me the pic? I'd love to, uh, whoops, my uh, email just cacked out. Anyway, he said, I'd love to see it. He says, coyotes generally run about 35 pounds. And uh, that's true, Richard. And I, uh, I was taken aback when my sister said this thing, according to my nephew, weighed over 100 pounds. So I started doing a little research, and apparently the eastern coyote has been for generations breeding with wolves up in these here parts, and so they tend to be a little bit larger. However, I will be in, uh, in my old hometown, my old stomping grounds for a, a family uh, get-together, and I'm going to uh, get the straight goods from my, uh, my nephew and find out. I don't know if there is a picture of this coyote. If there is, I'd love to post it because can you imagine a 100-pound coyote? And these things are running around uh, even here in Toronto in uh, people's neighborhoods. So lock up your small dogs to be sure. But that would be a, uh, a large, large coyote to be sure. All right. Uh, wanted to also remind you that uh, starting July the 14th, the Conspiracy Show will be coming to you live from Kalamata in uh, Messinia, the southern uh, part of Greece. And uh, that'll be the July the 14th, 21st, 28th, August 4th, and August 11th. Uh, now, for the affiliates down in the U.S., you'll be picking up the show uh, on different dates. Check your local listings, as they say. Uh, but looking forward to, to uh, bringing the show to you f- live from Kalamata. And... Uh, have a, a great uh, slew of guests lined up for you as well. So uh, look for that. Now, you know, a number of the, uh, the world's religions have been expecting for generations someone known as the world teacher, and Christians know him as the Christ and expect his imminent return. Jews await him as the Messiah. Hindus look for the coming of Krishna. Buddhists expect him as Maitreya Buddha, and Muslims anticipate the Imam Mahdi, or Messiah. The names may be different, but many believe they all refer to the same individual, the world teacher, whose name is Maitreya. Preferring to be known simply as the teacher, Maitreya has not come as a religious leader, we are told, or to found a new religion, but as a teacher and guide for people of every religion and those of no religion. And at this time of great political, economic, and social crisis, Maitreya will, they say, inspire humanity to see itself as one family and create a civilization based on sharing economic and social justice and global cooperation. Sounds great, right? Well, for many Christians, however, the Maitreya is not seen as a messiah or the savior or a world teacher, but in fact as an antichrist. So, which is he? Is he the world teacher? Is he the antichrist? We're about to find out over the course of the next hour. And uh, here to join in on the conversation is a counselor with a background in education, business and communication, a featured guest on radio talk shows across America. He's also co-hosted a radio program and produced and hosted public access television shows that air around the United States. Dick Larson served in the U.S. Air Force and as a special education teacher with the Los Angeles School District and was a corporate business executive for over 20 years. 
He's a native of Minnesota, where he obtained a degree in sociology. Subsequent duty in the Air Force ultimately brought him to the L.A. area in 1971, where he remains with his family. His familiarity with the spiritual side of life comes from his Christian background, studying the ageless wisdom teachings and the world's major religions, and from participating in personal meditation and transmission meditation groups for many years. In these difficult times, he tends to see the hopeful side of life and tries to help others to do the same. Here to explain who Maitreya is and why he's here is Dick Larson. Dick, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you, Richard. I'm well. That was a great introduction. Uh, I remember uh, back in the, well, I guess it was about the time I got started in talk radio in the early 90s. Uh, there was a gentleman on the scene who was uh, an artist, I believe, from Great Britain by the name of Benjamin Cream, who was, I guess, sort of a, a forerunner and, and uh, was uh, telling anybody and anyone who would listen about this individual who supposedly came out of the Himalayas in the late 70s and settled in London, England, uh, and was, was here to tell us about this, this world teacher, Maitreya. First of all, uh, for those not familiar with, with Maitreya, uh, who is this individual, uh, I mean, above and beyond what I've, I've just talked about? Well, you did a great job of describing it in brief, and you're one of the few people who pronounces his name correctly, Maitreya. Um, yes, uh, the first thing I'd just like to take a second, Richard, just to say the, the source of my information and to, to tell your audience one thing. The, the thing I'd like to tell your audience is please don't believe anything I say, because <laughs> that would be blind belief, and I don't recommend that to anybody. But if you can keep your mind just a little bit open and run it through your common sense and through your life's experiences, maybe a little 10 or 20 percent of it might ring a bell for you or seem true for you. So I don't ask people to believe what I say. The second thing is the source of my information is just what you said, Richard, is Benjamin Krem, C-R-E-M-E, uh, who lives in London and has been traveling the world for almost 40 years telling the story of the teacher who is due. It's been 2,000 years, and about every 2,000 years we get a teacher to inaugurate the new age. And that's exactly what this teacher is. He's the teacher for the age, and the age now is Aquarius. Jesus, the great teacher Jesus, came 2,000 years ago to inaugurate the age of Pisces. And, of course, the age-old symbol for Pisces is the fish. And in the Christian Bible, you'll see all these analogies of fish. I'll make you fishers of men. He fed the crowd with fish. There's two symbols for Christianity, the cross and the fish. Well, that's because he was the teacher to inaugurate the age of Pisces and brought the great teaching of the love of God. Well, it's been 2,000 years. In 1625, we started moving out of alignment. Our sun and our solar system come into alignment with these great constellations. About uh, all 12 of them, which we call the zodiac, about every 2,000 or 2,500 years, we move our alignment from one to the other. And in 1625, we started moving out of alignment with the age of Pisces, and in 1675, entered into the influence of the next constellation, which is Aquarius. And so we are now about halfway through. Half of the energy we're receiving comes from the great constellation Pisces. About half of it comes from Aquarius. These are huge, huge you know, bodies up in the cosmos that have tremendous energies. So it's time for the teacher for Aquarius, and he is here. He's in a self-made body that's indestructible. 
and will be with us for the next 2,000 years. He's, right now he's waiting for the right time to come forward uh, to speak to humanity openly. Now, how did Benjamin Krem uh, come to learn about Maitreya? Yes. Um, Benjamin Krem was contacted by one of the 63 Masters of Wisdom, or Kingdom of Souls, Ascended Masters. They're called all kinds of different names. There are people like Confucius, Krishna, Buddha, the Christ, Muhammad, great individuals who have gone through human evolution ahead of us and have become permanent spirits and who are the inspiration and guidance for humanity behind the scenes. One of these masters is in constant contact with Benjamin Krem. Actually, there were supposed to be five people around the world telling the story that Benjamin Krem has been telling, but the other four, for differing reasons, said, no, thank you. And Benjamin Krem is the only one. He said, I did not want to do this alone. So he is the source for my information, and, and he, got his, he gets his information on a daily, almost moment-to-moment basis from one of the masters of wisdom. So is, is Maitreya uh, supposed to be, uh, is he a prophet, or is he the son of God, or is he the incarnation of, of something? What, what is he? Who is he? Well, the hierarchy, they call it a hierarchy of the masters of wisdom, because they're at, they're at different levels, just like, we humans are at different levels of, of our progress, of our evolution. So are the masters. They're, they're at different levels, and they have different jobs, and they call it a hierarchy. And Maitreya is the leader of the masters. He's, he's the most... He and the Buddha were the first two to complete evolution through humanity and, and become masters. And they are brothers. They work together very, very closely. And he, Maitreya, is, his job is to be the head of, of the other masters. All right, let me just because jump in here, that, Dick. Because that's his position. He's the most evolved. All right, Dick, masters. let me just jump in here. We've got to take a time out. We'll, okay, we'll come back. Dick Larson uh, with us here on The Conspiracy Show as we discuss Maitreya, world teacher or the Antichrist. Back with more. Stay with us. Welcome back. Dick Larson is uh, with us as we discuss Maitreya, world teacher. Uh, he's been uh, heralded as such by uh, Benjamin Krem, uh, starting back, I guess, as early as the, the early 1980s, I first uh, learned of Benjamin Krem uh, when he was sort of doing the talk show circuit back in the, uh, the, the, the early 90s. And it was about the same time uh, that others were warning that, uh, you know, uh, Maitreya was, was not who he was purported to be, that he was some sort of antichrist. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's find out more about who Maitreya is and where he comes from. Dick Larson is with us, counselor, back, who has a, a background in education, business, and communication. Now, uh, again, Benjamin Cram, I believe, claimed that Maitreya uh, came out of the Himalayas and settled somewhere in London, England, in around 1977. Is, is that true? Absolutely. Yes, it took him several years to make this indestructible body um, because he needs to be able to, to, to walk around among us and shake your hand uh, and yet embody, which he does, embody the love of God in him. So he needs to be able to shake people's hands and not zap them, you know. Um, and and he, he had to make this body just right so that it could handle the pollution. and the, So the masters are, live in the mountains and deserts of the world. They're not used to the pollution and the sound pollution and the noise pollution and the air pollution and water pollution and everything. So he acclimated. He came down out of the Himalayas and, and, and acclimated his body in Pakistan for a couple of weeks. 
Then he actually flew by jet airplane to London to fulfill the prophecy that he would come out of the clouds, and he did. His passport said he was 33 years old at the time, which is interesting, since that's the age that Jesus was when he was crucified. Right, right. He landed in London, and his headquarters is in the Asian the poor Asian community on the outskirts of London. But he can travel around the world by thought instantly, anytime he wants to, and appear in ten places at once if he wants to. So he travels by thought, but that's his base of operations. He doesn't need to eat, sleep, do anything like that. He's working all the time. So what is he? Is he angelic? Is he a light being uh, in human form? What is he? Yes, he is. He's a light being in human form. That's a great way to put it. Now, you, you come from a... a one, he's a great spirit. Dick, you come from a Christian background. I do. Why do you believe that Maitre is who, he, who, who Benjamin Krem claims he is? Why should we believe Benjamin Krem? Well, I don't know that you should, um, but, but it took me time, to be honest. I mean, I heard Benjamin Krem speak in Los Angeles um, many years ago, then I read one of his books, and that started to make sense. I grew up, like I said, in the Christian religion, and there were certain questions that my, my church couldn't answer for me. And I thought, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I'm wondering. So there were just these holes in the information, and I read Benjamin Krem's book, and it started to answer those questions for me. Now, this is me personally, okay? I'm not saying that would happen for everybody, but that's what happened for me. And, and I thought, this just makes sense. This is real common sense stuff. And, and that, that miracles are just a next level of science that we're not aware of, for example. Um, and, and it just all made sense to me. This whole thing about religion being separate from, from science makes no sense to me. I think it all goes together. And that's kind of the way he presented the ageless wisdom teachings. You know, the ageless wisdom teachings are an ancient, ancient philosophy, eons old. It's so old, Richard that its basic truths are said to underlie all of the world's major religions. Um, it, but that's what Benjamin Krem has been teaching, is the Ageless Wisdom teachings. Before him, it was Alice A. Bailey. She wrote about 20 books in the 1930s and 40s teaching the Ageless Wisdom. Benjamin Krem is the latest revealer of the Ageless Wisdom. Some have suggested that Benjamin Krem is an occultist. Would you, would you care yeah. to respond to that? Well, he... He doesn't act like an occultist. He doesn't ask anybody to believe him, just like I don't. Um, he, he just says, I have this information, and my job is to give out the information, and, and I hope that some of it makes sense to you, but if it doesn't, I'm sorry I wasted your time. I, I didn't mean to. Um, he doesn't ask anybody to believe him. He doesn't ask for followers. He collects absolutely no pay for anything he does um, in, in doing this, and all the speaking appearances and all that sort of thing. He makes no spiritual claims about himself whatsoever. None. Give us a, he just a, says, I'm one of you. A physical That's description it. of... So of... he doesn't really act like... He doesn't have a group of people who worship him or, or do what he says. He doesn't say, do what I say. He says, do what you, what you think is right. Do, you know? Right. If can it makes you... sense to you, then, then do, do something, you know? Can you give us a physical and description so of Maitreya? He doesn't act like a cult leader. I don't, I don't think he is. I, there's no fervent... Feeling when you talk to people that know Benjamin Krem, there's no fervency about it at all. Well, no, I wasn't suggesting a cult leader. I was suggesting an occultist. But uh, oh, I, I, oh I, yeah, a cult. Yes, a cult is like is like um, esotericism. Yes, it's hidden truths, and that's what he's doing. He's revealing truths that have been hidden for a long time, passed down by by word of mouth over the eons, 
but um, yes, it is occult information that he is giving out. That means hidden. Okay. It's hidden information. I suppose in the strictest now. definition, yes. I mean, in the strictest in, in the strictest definition, I suppose uh, Christianity would have been reviewed as such, you know, in the early days. But let me ask you this: Give, give sure. me a can you give me a physical description of Maitreya? What does he look like? No, I can't because um, I haven't seen any of his interviews. He's been interviewing on television now, um, just in the last several months, and I have not seen any of the interviews. I haven't looked for him either, but I haven't seen him. Um, he did about about 13 interviews or so on American television as part of panels who were talking about world problems. As an ordinary man, he didn't say, I'm a tray, I'm the world teacher. He, I don't know what name he was using, um, but he, he's been interviewing there. Then he interviewed in Mexico. Um, he did 14 interviews on Mexican television as an individual, being interviewed by the press. Um, he did 41 interviews in Brazil as an individual, and now he's done 14 interviews on Russian television. And I don't know what he looks like. I'm told that he's about six foot three, that he's in a male body, um, and I think he has dark hair. He might have a beard and a mustache. I'm not sure. You know, he appeared in Kenya. It's the only time, really, that he had photographs taken of him in a body. But, but that wasn't the body. He appeared in a body that the Kenyans expected the Christ to look like, because they're Christians. And he appeared, there was a woman uh, who's a healer and a Christian teacher, and she, she talks outside of um, Nairobi, out in the country. Two or 3,000 people come every weekend to hear her speak, and she does healings. She, told, she was told she'd have a visitor. Well, while she was talking, this man, six foot three, all dressed in white, with a blue uh, band around his head like they expect the Christ to be dressed, he instantly appeared beside her, spoke in perfect Swahili for about 617 minutes or so, um, they all immediately saw him. They went, Yesu Christus, Yesu Christus. They recognized him as the Christ right away. Um, he healed uh, people in that area, and then he left. And the editor of the Kenyan Times was there, and he took pictures. And they were published in the Kenyan newspaper the next day, Did Jesus Appear in Nairobi? And, of course, he's not Jesus. He's, he's another one of the great masters, uh, not the Master Jesus. And... Um, so, but that wasn't, so there are pictures of him, and he's tall, and he's male, and he has a black beard and a mustache, but that's not the body, that was an image he used. That's not the body that he actually made. He is doing the interviews in his body, so I don't know what he looks like. I'm just, I'm curious, as someone who, who uh, believes uh, Maitre is who, he, who he's reported to be, why you wouldn't be curious to, to, to watch these interviews or to, to see what he looks like? Well, I am, but I can't find him. <laughs> All right, and I, and I don't want to spend hours looking for it. I mean, you know, there there's certain things you just know because you know it just makes sense to you. I understand, and and so that's that's where my absolute conviction comes from. If you Google Maitreya, though, there are there are there are lots of images. Are you suggesting that those images are not Maitreya online? Yes, I am. They're not Maitreya. Yeah, there are a lot of people claiming they're Maitreya. Remember, they're false prophets, and and even the Bible predicted this that there'd be people claiming to be the the Christ in returning, and um, th- that's been happening all over the place. They knock on Benjamin Krem's door all the time. Hi, I'm Maitreya. I just wanted to say hi and shake your hand, let you know that I'm here and everything's okay. You know, <laughs> he's just very kind to them and then says goodbye. <laughs> and when is Maitreya supposed to emerge? Uh, I mean, you, you, you've, you've stated that he's made a number of, of interviews, but not necessarily yeah. as Maitreya. When, when is then, when is he to make his 
I guess, his formal uh, appearance on the world stage, if in fact that's right. the plan. Yeah, that's the question of the, of the age, Richard. We don't know. Um, I'll tell you when it's going to be. It's going to be when humanity insists that he tell us who he is. People, his hope, see, the, the masters don't infringe our free will. We, have, we all have free will. It's a God-given gift. First story of the Christian Bible, Adam and Eve had a choice. Um, and and he, we always have choices. That's how we learn and grow. We make choices, and then we learn from our choices. We can learn from a poor choice. We can learn from, learn from a wise choice. So we have free will. The masters will never make us do anything or, or demand that we do anything, ever. So what he wants is he wants people to get curious about who he is. How do you know so much when you're interviewed on TV? How do you know? This guy can't be just a normal guy. He knows too much. Who are you really? And when humanity demands to know who he is really, then he will have what he calls his day of declaration when he will address the world on radio and television hooked up by satellite around the world. That's what the satellites are there for. They're not there for World Cup soccer. <laughs> they're, there, they're there for this event. And that's when he'll come forward, but only when we ask him to, so that he doesn't infringe our free will. Dick Larson that's why is with us. doing the interviews to get us curious. Dick Larson is with us uh, discussing Maitreya uh, here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, what other supposed miracles have been attributed to this individual? Well, um, one that's been directly attributed to him are the healing waters that have been discovered around the world. Um, what he does, I'm told what he does, is that he energizes, he looks for springs underground that appear to have a near-endless supply of water, and he energizes them, he blesses them with energy. It's all scientific, it's all energy. Um, and the first one discovered was in Tlacote, T-L-A-C-O-T-E, Mexico. It's about 100 miles outside of Mexico City on a farmer's ranch. His dog, he saw some water coming out of the ground. His sick dog drank it and got well. He gave it to some of his other sick animals. They got well. So he, he talked to the Mexican government. They allowed him to give it to some people in the hospital. They, most of them got well. So then he, they gave him some money, they helped him, he put his money in, they put their money in, and they put these big pumps and these big tanks in, and he was giving out this water free to people. And, and before you got the water, you had to go and talk to his technicians and say who you were getting it for, what their condition was, um, what their illness was, what their disease was, get the contact information, everything, so they could follow up. Well, people got healed from everything from cancer to AIDS to, to arthritis and heart problems from this water, and he ended up getting an award from the United Nations for giving this water away free to people. That's one of the wells. There's one in Nordenau, Germany, that was discovered under a, under a restaurant. That, that water is available. There's one in India that's been discovered, and there's one in Russia that's said to cure alcoholism. Benjamin Krem said that, that the, the, the prophecy is that when Maitreya is done, there will be 777 wells around the world, and they will be a major source of health and well-being for humanity for the next 2,000 years. So that's one miracle. There's another one. Um, for Christians, there are crosses of light. Um, it, it started in El Monte, uh, a suburb of, of California, a poor Mexican suburb of Los Angeles, um, where the dimpled glass in the bathrooms, most of them had a bare bulb hanging in the, in the bathroom, the dimpled glass, which normally shows a square, um, 
all of a sudden started showing crosses and people said look at that you have a cross in your in your bathroom window there when you turn the light on and it and about 20 homes in El Monte got these crosses of light in their bathroom windows and man people were coming from all over they had bus tours and everything people were showing people were were claiming that they got healed looking at the crosses of light um, and they spread around the world. They're in Japan, they're in the Philippines, they're in Canada, they're all over now. Crosses of light in the dimpled glass. That's glass that has been blessed by Maitreya. So there are, there are miracles in almost every major religion, and there are miracles that have nothing to do with religion. Uh, why, uh, why do people of the Christian faith believe, not everyone, but uh, you know, I've, I've had a number of authors on this program, uh, over the years, and we're going to head into a break here in a moment, but we'll get, okay. at least get this, this end of the discussion going, and then we'll uh, come back and continue. But I've had a number of uh, authors on this program, uh, biblical scholars and so forth, who claim that Maitreya is the Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, and as we know, you know, from, uh, from the Bible, the, the Antichrist, the great deceiver, if you will, will have to be able to convince the major world religions— all of them, that he is their Messiah. And that's precisely what Maitreya, I guess, is claiming, or, or Benjamin yeah. Graham, or you are claiming, that he will be the Christ, the, the, you know, the, the second coming of Christ to Christians. He will be the Imam Mahdi to Muslims. He will be the, exactly. uh, the compassionate Buddha to Buddhists. So yeah. it, it sort of sounds like he fits that description. Yeah, it, it doesn't actually say he, ha- he will convince all the other world religions. It doesn't actually say that in, in the book of Revelation, but it does say that he will fool, um, you know, almost everybody. Um, that's right. Do you want to address it now, or are you going to... Well, let's, let, yeah, let's just start the conversation, and then when, okay. when, we, uh, when we come back, we can continue sure. on. Yeah. St. John's book of Revelation is one of the most difficult books in the Bible to read and understand. One of the tendencies that people have and have had over the years, is to take things in the Bible very, very literally and miss a lot of the symbolism. And I think uh, my information is that one of the things that's going to happen over the next hundred years is that we're going to start to get deeper and deeper insights into this, some of the symbolism of the Holy Bible that people have been missing, and this sacred book will become very, very important, still be very important for um, for years to come. But the book of revelation is difficult there are actually my understanding of the book of revelation um i used to teach bible study and all kinds of stuff in the christian church i'm very involved involved but that doesn't mean i'm right but my understanding is that that there are three main events that happen in the book of revelation three cataclysmic events um one is in the past one just happened and one is at the end of the world and the 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 one that was written about at the time, I have to say this, the Antichrist, there's a misunderstanding about the Antichrist, according to the Ageless Wisdom. The Antichrist is actually an energy released through certain key people, not a person. All right, let's just, and, uh, let's just hold it there, uh, Dick. This sure. is a good time to, to step away. We'll come back. Dick Larson talking Maitreya here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And Dick Larson stays with us as we discuss Maitreya, world teacher or antichrist. Uh, so we started that conversation about whether or not Maitreya may in fact be an antichrist. And you're, you're saying that there is a misunderstanding about what the term antichrist actually means. It's not a person. It's sort of an energy. Uh, I guess, you know, the broadest definition is anyone that denies Christ would be considered an antichrist. 
Oh, well, yes, they are, they are Antichrist, but they're not the Antichrist. They're just Antichrist. <laughs> right, right. In my mind, anyway. Okay. Yeah, the Antichrist energy is, is released, according to the Ageless Wisdom teaching, is released periodically to break down the old order and pave the way for the new. And the first cataclysm that, that is in the book of Revelation, um, and if anybody has a good study Bible, it could be any, any study Bible that has good footnotes in it, if they look, the Antichrist energy was released through Nero 2,000 years ago. And, and if you'll recall that saying, Nero fiddled while Rome burned, right. he single-handedly destroyed, pretty much destroyed the Roman Empire and paved the way for Christendom. And, and he was incredibly evilly persecuted the Christians, something fierce, and was just an incredibly evil uh, man who, who really raised a lot of havoc uh, and destroyed the Roman Empire. That's the first cataclysm. That's the one that, that John was most immediate about warning people about. Look out for this guy. And, um, and because he was persecuting the Christians at the time of the writing really, really badly. Well... That was released 2,000 years ago. The Antichrist energy was released again 2,000 years later in our time. And everybody knows, if they think about it, everybody knows who it was. It was Hitler. Hitler, it was released through Hitler, Mussolini, and a couple Japanese generals. And if you think about it, Hitler did everything that St. John's Book of Revelation said the Antichrist would do. He fooled millions and millions of people into thinking he was going to create this perfect world, this perfect society. Um, he was incredibly evil. He killed millions and millions of people, and he tried to conquer the world. And ultimately, he, the Antichrist energy was released through him. He was defeated. The, the Axis powers were defeated by the Allied powers who had the masters behind them to save the world. Um, and we were given the bomb for, before they got it for that purpose to, to save the world. We weren't it wasn't anticipated we would use it. The anticipation was that just the threat of having it would end the war, but it didn't. Um, and so the Allied powers beat the Axis powers and defeated the, the Hitler and the Antichrist energy for our time. So the good news that the Ageless Wisdom has for people is that the Antichrist for our time has come and gone. Now, my information is it will be released once more in about 2,500 years, and that battle would be fought on mental levels and then it will be put down for the very last time forever. Uh, for for Christians, no more purpose. But for Christians but who the are... the Antichrist in, for our time has come and gone. All right. But for Christians who are anticipating the, uh, the return of Christ, you yes. know, we're told things like the, the Christ will, will come in the clouds or like a thief in the night when we least yes. expect it. Uh, yes, that doesn't... Okay, but Maitreya, I mean, we've, we've been hearing about his you know, emergence into the world stage for over 30 years. That doesn't, that doesn't fit the description of, you know, a thief in the night or returning in the clouds, etc. So explain the seeming well, discrepancy there. People were expecting him to come in a hundred years or a million years. They weren't expecting him to come now. I mean, he really did come like a thief in the night. He came and, and nobody knew about it for 10 years almost after he was here. Well, that was not true. Benjamin Krem started talking about it, but but people weren't, you know, people really didn't know for quite a while. I mean, he came without any big announcement or anything. He just showed up in London, and he did come through the clouds. 
um, through by jet airplane. Of course, when they wrote the Bible, there were no jet airplanes. <laughs> there were no airplanes. All right, got to jump in here again, uh, Dick. Another time out, we'll come back. We'll uh, take in uh, some calls as well. Dick Larson talking Maya Trey here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. And Dick Larson stays with us uh, till the top of the hour as we discuss Maitreya. Is he world teacher, as foretold by, I guess, his forerunner? Some might call him uh, his own sort of John the Baptist, uh, Benjamin Krem, beginning in the uh, the early 80s. Maitreya, world teacher or antichrist. Dick Larson uh, stays with us. And uh, he's a, a student of world religions. He's a counselor with a background in education, and business, and communication. Uh, before I get to the calls, quick question, Dick. What is the association between Maitreya and Share International? Yes. Um, Share International is a nonprofit educational um, organization that was started to support Benjamin Krem's work. Um, and so people like me, who I'm a volunteer I, I, for Share International, there are volunteers around the world who'd, who um, try to get Benjamin Krem's information out. We, we publish his books and sell them almost at cost because it's not about making profit. Um, and, and so that's what Share International is. It's an organization to promote. Um, there's a magazine. Benjamin Krem is the editor of Share International magazine. It's a monthly magazine. Uh, that's in about 50 countries of the world in many, many different languages that talks about all the good things happening around, around the world and about solutions to problems and um, has nothing to do with religion at all. It's just about good stuff happening around the world, and, of course, it talks about uh, Maitreya as well. All right, let's go to the phones, and uh, let's begin with uh, James, who's in Toronto and has been holding a while. Appreciate your patience. James, you're on the line with Dick Larson. Go ahead. Uh, hi. Among many other things, Christ is also called a ransom sacrifice. Many people might wonder, well, since we know what a ransom is, we to buy back something that was lost, and what was lost to us for the, from the first humans was the right to eternal life. And Christ showed people how they can, can attain eternal life by paying his instructions. All right, James, what do you think of the Maitreya? Uh, well, I, I didn't quite understand that. What is in a, in a, in a few... If possible, a few words. What is a Maitreya? Well, I, he sort of spent the first half hour sort of describing who he was. So uh, he's a great teacher who's who's going to help us get back on track because we've lost our way. We can't end wars, and we're killing the planet with pollution. We need help. He's going to teach us. He's not going to tell us to do anything. He's going to make suggestions, and we'll either follow them or not. All right, James, thanks for the call. Bob is in Beamsville, Ontario. Bob, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with Dick Larson. Go ahead. Hello. Go ahead, Bob. Hi, Bob. Um, I'm an analyst, not a politician. <laughs> I utterly condemn Hitler and his fascist party. But my analysis of the situation is Hitler was an absolute necessity. All right, I think we'll end the conversation there, Bob. Thank you for that. We're not talking about Hitler, though. We're talking about Maitreya. Uh, Hitler, an absolute necessity. Well, I don't think I want to pursue that conversation any further. Well, the Antichrist was supposed to break down the, the world problems at the time and pave the way for Maitreya to come, but the masters didn't anticipate that we would get into this Cold War. They, you know, we have free will. And they didn't anticipate the Cold War. So instead of paving the way for Maitreya to come early, instead we got locked into this Cold War. And it kind of delayed the process. 
Again, the, the million-dollar question, obviously, is when Maitreya will, will uh, you know, emerge onto the world scene. Yeah. Uh, what... I, I, think, I think his day of declaration will be within the next three years. And why is that? Because he's already doing the interview process. He said that once he starts the interview process, things will happen very quickly. Um, and, and how and, is he going to, uh, you know, where will he get his authority, uh, I guess, to affect, you know, global change? Will he be elected, uh, an elected official? Will he be named, no. for example, the, you know, the, uh, the Secretary of the United Nations, uh, Secretary General of the UN? Where, where will he derive his authority from? Yeah, those are good questions. Uh, he won't. His authority will be because he will touch our hearts and our minds. When he, when he has his day of declaration, there are three ways that people are going to know it's him. Uh, number one, they'll see his face on television, but his lips won't move. They'll hear his words in their head, in their own language, whatever their native language is, telepathically. People will be looking at each other. He's not talking, but I'm hearing him, you know. That'll be one way they know it's him. Another way they'll know it's him is that while he's speaking on television, on radio, that People will feel the love of God in their heart like they have never felt it before. A lot of people will be crying. Trust the love in your heart. The Antichrist cannot do that. And the third way people will know that it's him is that reports around the world after he's done speaking will report that while he was speaking, hundreds of thousands of people around the world were miraculously healed. And in those three ways, we'll know that this is the teacher for the age, and we can either follow his suggestions or not. And, and and if we, we, we choose to follow him, I mean, what will yeah. what will planet Earth look like after, uh, I, I don't want to call it his reign, but, uh, you yeah, know... But after he starts coming out openly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he has, his first four priorities are this, Richard. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. His first four priorities are food for everyone. As you and I speak, about every eight seconds, someone dies of starvation or a starvation-related illness in a world with a, with a 10%, 12% per capita surplus of food. The first one is food for everybody. The second one is housing for everybody. The third one is health care for everybody. And the fourth one is education for everyone along the lines of your interest, whatever your interests are. If it's music, education for music. If it's, you know, whatever. So those are his first four priorities. Those will happen very quickly. I'm told that, that feeding everybody will happen within two or three years. So what it's going to look like is people's basic needs will get met, and then we can start to learn more about who we are, that we're actually not humans having a spiritual experience, we're spirits having a human experience. But people can't spend time on that when they're starving to death. So the first four things will be, will be those priorities. Well, but how will this be achieved? Through the United Nations? Yeah. Well, the United Nations will play a large part in it, although people are worried about one world government. That's yes. not part of the plan. Okay. Um, the masters say that every country has a personality, just like people, and that these countries contribute to the overall essence of the world. And so there won't be a world, one world government or anything like that. But there are people making the plans right now, the distribution plans. My understanding is they're all set. It just can't be proposed until people are ready to hear it. And he will help make that available to people. Now, when you he say distribution, are you people talking about... Ready. They'll say, okay, how can we feed people? And somebody will say, well, we have some ideas. So there are people already working on these plans. There are disciples working on these plans. Disciples. Will he have, will he have disciples uh, as, as Christ had disciples? Will he have... Yes, uh... he doesn't come alone. There are right now 14 masters in the world. And before the age is over, there will be more than 40. 
one of the masters in the world, they kind of had an idea that the largest religion in the world, which is Roman Catholicism, Christianity, the masters kind of had an idea that Christians might have a difficult time with this whole Antichrist thing and so on. So one of the masters that is coming with Maitreya is the Master Jesus. The Christians can be very happy about that because they're going to see him on eventually. Um, they'll see Maitreya first. But then later on, they'll see Maitreya and Jesus standing side by side on television. Um, Jesus will say, this is my friend Maitreya. Maitreya will say, this is my great friend, the Master Jesus. They work together all the time. Jesus is in a physical body right now living outside of Rome and has been for several years. A couple cardinals in the Pope's circle know he's there but they have been asked not to say anything because that would infringe the free will of all the Catholics in the world. If the Pope said Jesus is here, they'd believe it. We need to experience these masters for who they are and recognize them by our, with our hearts and our minds. And so, but, they, but he is here, and he will, he will come forward. His job, by the way, is to get the Christian Church back on, on track. What does Maitreya say, say happens to us after we die? After we die... We, our consciousness remains. It's like, I like the way Deepak Chopra says, he says, if you're talking to somebody on the phone and you cut the telephone line, what happens? Nothing happens to you. It's just that the conversation is over. You know, that's exactly what happens. Our consciousness remains and our soul remains. And then we pick another body to come in and our soul remembers where we left off in our evolution, and we pick up right where we left off last time in whatever body was the best idea to help us with whatever next lessons we're supposed to learn. And eventually we learn all the lessons uh, after thousands of lives, which you and I have already had. We learn all the lessons that planet Earth has to teach, and we become, perma- we become masters. We become permanent spirits. That's what he says. All right, but... Uh, as a Christian, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, the idea, I mean, there are those who believe that, that the concept of reincarnation has been sort of expunged from, uh, you know, Christian theology, but, you know, that it was once part of the tradition. I'm, Very much. I don't know, quite frankly, what to say about that. It, uh, it's not part of, you know, Christian orthodoxy. Um, yeah. Well, what would you the, say the to Christians Catholic who... The Encyclopedia actually talks about who took reincarnation out of the Bible. It was the Emperor Justinian in 600, about 600 A.D., he had a girlfriend that didn't like the idea, so he, he he held a big meeting when the Pope, he knew the Pope couldn't make it, and they took it out of the Bible. They missed two places. Reincarnation is still in the Bible in two places that he missed. One is when the, they come across a blind man, and the disciples say to Jesus, Master, who sinned that this man be born blind, he or his parents? Now, how could he sin in the womb? He couldn't. had to be in a previous lifetime. The second one is his disciples said to Jesus, they said, Master, is John the Baptist Elias returned? And he said, he didn't say, what a stupid question. He said, yes, he is. So those are the two that that he missed that are still in the Bible. Jesus didn't have to teach rebirth because it was was common knowledge then. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, and obviously, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna resolve the issue here whether or not no, he is not. the great teacher, and and those who, uh, you know, believe Maitreya is just that the great teacher, I suppose, will continue to believe that, and those who uh, are skeptical or believe he may in fact be the antichrist, uh, we'll just have to keep a, a watchful eye and await his emergence, I suppose. And yeah, the uh, tree it, will be known by its fruit. People will know when they see and hear him and and watch his actions. Is there a website you can leave us with, uh, Dick, if people want to find out more? Thank you for asking. Yes. 
www.share, S-H-A-R-E, I-N-T-L for international, S-H-A-R-E-I-N-T-L dot org, not dot com. You'll get a weird one if you go there, dot org. We'll have to have you on. W-S-H-A-R-E-I-N-T-L dot org. Appreciate it. And we'll, we'll have to have you on Thank again you. And, and discuss uh, this in, in greater detail. It's obviously uh, you know, not something that can be easily handled in, uh, in 45 minutes. Would you be good for that, to come back at a later date? Would Thank you be good you to come much. back at a later date? Yes, I'd love to. Terrific. Okay, Dick, it's I appreciate pleasure. it. Pleasure as well. Thank you. Dick Larson. Thank you. All right. Uh, wow. I, uh, I don't know what to tell you, folks. I, um, I have to be honest. As an Orthodox Christian, it doesn't necessarily square with my you know, religious uh, uh, worldview. However... Uh, it's certainly interesting, and we'll, we'll uh, as I say, we'll get Dick back on, and perhaps we'll uh, we'll structure a debate uh, with uh, with Dick and someone, I suppose, on the other side who believes that uh, Maitreya is not the world teacher, uh, who you know they believe he is in fact the Antichrist. Wanted to give you a heads up coming up on the next uh, on the uh, the next edition of the uh, Conspiracy Show. Uh, Nick Redfern will be along. He's got a brand new book. Uh, about monsters and uh, various intelligence groups in the United States. And we'll also uh, be talking with the director and producer of a new film uh, that was sort of spearheaded by Dr. Stephen Greer, of course, who is uh, part of the Disclosure Project. So we'll look forward to that next week. And again, coming up in uh, several weeks, we'll be coming to you live from Kalamata in Greece. The return of James D. Eugenio, JFK assassination researcher, will be along for a couple of uh, episodes to talk uh, about the murder of the president, John F. Kennedy, as we sell or commemorate the 50th anniversary. In the meantime, you can check out all the information you need on this program at richardserrett.com. That's richardserrett.com. And as always, say hello on Twitter at... Richard Serrett.
Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hey, how are you? Are we on? <laughs> I think I uh, misfired there. I keep pushing the wrong button and it's way over there and I can't quite reach it. All right. Hey, my, uh, my regular uh, technical producer, Tim Spreen, is off uh, this week. He's up in Ottawa celebrating uh, a friend's wedding nuptials, I guess, and in his stead, uh, behind the board, is James Dooley. Welcome, James. How often people say, hang down your head? Do you get that a lot? More often than you realize, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to go there. You can't avoid it. James Dooley. That's a great name. Speaking of conspiracies, I mean, that's, you know, I took her to the mountain. I stabbed her with my knife. It's a dark song. It is. Every secretary is. in the world growing up always said, oh, hang down your head. And then when I heard the song when I was about 12 years old, I realized it's dark. That's true. And my and my, uh, my, uh, my lovely bride, the mighty Aphrodite, uh, she she remembers all the, the, the songs that she was uh, taught in grade school. And she learned that when she was, as you say, about 12 years old, 10, 11 years old. It's a dark song it's a, for a kid. It's a very dark song. And based on a true story, if you know the the history of that uh uh yeah Alrighty then well welcome aboard james good to have you here thanks very much we uh we're going to talk uh, over the next 45 minutes or an hour about a pretty interesting chapter in uh, u.s history and it's going on right now i mean unless you've been under a rock and haven't heard about uh, edward snowden uh and what's been going on with this whole spy scandal and uh, it's it's ongoing, this story, uh, because as Ed, uh, Edward Snowden uh, is seeking asylum, first in uh, Hong Kong and now Russia, uh, after supposedly, uh, you know, revealing, not supposedly, he absolutely revealed uh, that uh, the National Security uh, Agency has been snooping uh, on all of us, really, anyone who's ever made a, a telephone call to the United States to a friend or a colleague down there. Uh, there's a permanent record of that. And uh, I guess he felt it was his moral duty as a, uh, as a contracted employee there to let us know, to let us all know what the National Security Agency and the CIA has been up to. And uh, now, of course, he's um, seeking asylum, first in Hong Kong, then in Russia. Now we really don't know where he is. Is he on his way to Ecuador? We've heard Iceland. Uh, well, we're going to get the straight goods now. Uh, Joel Skousen joins us from time to time on the program. He's a political scientist by training, specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory. He's also a designer of high-security residences and retreats. He's designed self-sufficient and high-security homes throughout North America and has cons- consulted in Central America as well. He was raised in Oregon, later served as a fighter pilot for the U.S. Marine Corps during the Vietnam War. And uh, now uh, he has uh, busied himself publishing a newsletter entitled The World Affairs Brief and served as a senior editor of uh, Cogitations, a quarterly journal on law and government. The World Affairs Brief is now back in publication and is available as a weekly email newsletter. Joel Skousen, how are you? I'm just fine, Richard. It's good to be with you again. Uh, Joel, let's pretend for a moment that there may be some listeners out there who've been, uh, I don't know, hidden away in a cave somewhere for the last three weeks and aren't familiar with what we'll call the Edward Snowden affair. Uh, Give us a thumbnail sketch of, or a timeline, if you will, of what happened and who this Edward Snowden individual is. Well, Edward Snowden was a uh, contractor working for Booz Allen Hamilton, which basically gets about 90% of its revenue from doing top-secret work for the government. 
he came from a background of working for, for the CIA. They actually trained him to do uh, IT management. And in that position, you know, when you train somebody to uh, basically oversee the passwords and who gets into the system, those people, too, can get into the system. He saw more than what he bargained for, didn't like what he was seeing, decided to at some point turn whistleblower. He left the CIA, went to work for Booz Hamilton um, Booz Allen Hamilton, the subcontractor, specifically trying to get the goods on government wiretapping. He did uh, secreted out a lot of uh, proof. In other words, we've known for many years that the government is spying on everything, including emails and cell phones. But he's the only one to come out with documents that prove it. He's revealed about half of what he's got now. The government is desperately trying to get a hold of him to stop the continual leaks of these uh, ultra-top-secret programs. Now, he, he contacted uh, Glenn Grenwald at the uh, the Guardian uh, newspaper in London, and they published a series of, I guess, exposés based on Snowden's disclosures um, earlier in, in June. And they talked about a variety of, of classified intelligence programs, including the interception of U.S. and European telephone metadata and the PRISM and Tempora Internet Surveillance Programs. Can you tell us what PRISM and Tempora Internet Surveillance Programs entail? Well, PRISM refers to the physical device which they attach to fiber optics uh, uh, transfer systems. It's like a, a real PRISM. You put it up to light, and it splits the light into two or more, actually a full rainbow spectrum. But in this kind of a PRISM, what they do is split the signal coming down a fiber optic line and essentially it just duplicates it, meaning half the signal goes one way, they're identical halves, and so the one goes on its way and the other is recorded by the NSA. So in essence, it's physical devices, more complex than what I explained, of course, that duplicate everything that comes down fiber optic lines in a digital format, and, uh, and they're recording it all. And they have, of course, sophisticated computers that uh, then search for keywords and algorithms which... Uh, uh, you know, separates that data into dissidents, into ter- uh, uh, terrorist potential things, and they, they follow up on that. And, of course, the worst thing is that they are, they're classifying data and conversations uh, according to those that are opposed to government. And so we view this with great concern in the United States and Canada because it indicates that uh, they're preparing to, uh, in essence, take down dissidents at some point. So theoretically, or not even theoretically, this telephone conversation that you and I are having right now uh, would be uh, recorded and filed away somewhere, not necessarily listened to unless what? We said a, a particular a key word, or how would, how would they determine, I say they, the intelligence apparatus, how would they determine which phone calls that they would decide to go back in, retrieve, and, and maybe transcribe? Well, what they do, and this is very interesting, it's, it's quite sophisticated, they have a tiered view of, of uh, keywords. In other words, they, they will record everything. They don't ever erase anything unless they've actually gone through and sifted through it and decided this isn't of any worth. But they don't do away with any information that they collect. That's why they need you know, all these data storage centers like the Utah Storage Center that's opening soon and the San Antonio one. And there's probably three or four others that are being built in secret that we don't know about at, at the point. But... They don't just let this data sit. They're continually sifting it. They take everybody who has anything of a constitutional right-wing perspective. That would be you. They start, <laughs> that's right. And they start 
splitting that apart into the people who are concerned about New World Order. They, they take the ones that are concerned about the Constitution. They're not too dangerous in and of themselves. They take those of those who's concerned about conspiracy. 9-11 is a very key word. Anybody who believes in 9-11 is definitely going to go in an anti-government category because they have been influenced by that correct truth that there is tremendous government relationship there. And they're, they're tracking even people's discussions about Snowden, who's on what side. They have algorithms that are capable of deciding what side of the issue that you're on. And so they then cross-reference all of those databases and start to put together, and each of those databases has both telephone numbers and who they belong to attached to them so that they can search and put together, all right, Joel Skousen's, you know, in this category, he's had all these telephone calls, and they're all in this pattern. But we definitely got him on a list. Richard Syrett runs a conspiracy show, and he's on that same list. And uh, they're building lists, and uh, they're continuing to massage the data. They don't need to listen to the material unless they really decide to go to court. They don't need, other than the fact, to know who their enemies are. And we are the enemy of the tyranny state. So Snowden is, Snowden is charged with theft of government property, unauthorized communication of national defense information, and willful communication of classified intelligence to an unauthorized person. The unauthorized uh, person or persons, I, go, I guess, should be the world, right? The, 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 uh, the, the public. Well, they're also accusing him of espionage, which technically is not true, because they haven't proven that he's actually spied on behalf of anyone else other than the fact that they, the government considers we are an enemy of the government. <laughs> so spying on behalf of the American citizens is considered a crime in, uh, in a tyrannical government sense. In other words, the technical definition of espionage is relaying sensitive government information, security uh, information, to the enemy. But since he's relaying that information to the United States citizenry, that doesn't fall under the, uh, the definition of espionage. That's, I guess, That's a, right. what you would call a moral imperative. That's right. That's a moral imperative, in my view, and that's why they'll have to get him, if they do get him, on uh, any of the technical clauses. I think he would be very foolish if he follows his father's advice, who came out this week and said, these are the conditions I suspect that my son would come back and face trial, and if he suspects that any government would promise and, and abide by those promises... Uh, and give him a fair trial, he'd be a fool. Joel Skousen is with us, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, and we'll tell you how you can subscribe in just a few moments. But back to Snowden. Uh, last we heard, he was in uh, the, um, the, uh, the, Ru the Russian airport, uh, hoping, I guess, to, to jump on a plane, perhaps to Ecuador. Uh, what, what's the latest on his whereabouts? Well, the latest is that no one's seen him at any of those transfers except when the first day that he arrived, and that was the only person who saw him was a person who was, uh, he was investigating the possibility of renting one of the capsule hotels. These are small train-like compartments uh, the size of about a 10 by 10 cubicle that you can rent there in a very modern uh, transit portion of the airport. But the, uh, it's an open portion. All of the uh, reporters are milling around. None of them have ever seen him. There's only one person who claims that they have seen him, and that's the person who was renting out these spaces. And he did not rent one, she said. He went away. And so he hasn't been seen. I can derive nothing from that other than the fact that he has been spirited away already to another country, or he's in Russian hands uh, for safekeeping to keep him away from 
any kidnapping attempt by the U.S. When he was in Hong Kong and, and now supposedly in, in Russia, uh, governments there seem to be taking great delight, almost using Snowden as a battering ram against the United States. Explain the thinking there. Well, you know, the United States has made the presumption of we are the protector of, of justice, of democracy for many years, and now the world is literally outraged that the United States has been spying on them all, including their allies. Germany is afire with this. Uh, it's, it's just a great affront. Of course, the, the U.S. has been accusing China of hacking in and spying, and yet Snowden has revealed documents to the Chinese that show that the United States has been hacking and, uh, and spying on China. And so China's just having a heyday saying, <laughs> you know, that's like the pot calling the kettle black. You're... Clean up your own house before you come and criticize us about human rights and uh, and, and hacking and espionage. All right, Joe, we'll uh, take a time out, come back, and continue to talk about Edward Snowden and the U.S. spying scandal. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. According to a Gallup poll conducted June 10th and 11th, 2013, 44% of Americans thought it was right for Edward Snowden to share the information with the press, while 42% thought it was wrong. A USA Today Pew Research poll conducted June 12th and 16th found that 49% thought the release of information served the public interest, while 44% thought it harmed it. The same poll found 54% who felt a criminal case should be brought against Snowden, while 38% thought a criminal case should not be brought give you one more poll, poll here. Washington, uh, the Washington Post, ABC News poll, condu- conducted June 12th to the 16th, said 43% uh, showed, 43% said Snowden should be charged with a crime, while 48% said he should not be. So as you can see, uh, this Snowden affair has really divided the nation. Hours after Snowden revealed his identity, A We the People petition was posted on the White House website asking for a full, free, and absolute pardon for any crimes uh, he may have committed or may have committed related to blowing the whistle on secret NSA surveillance programs. The petition attained 100,000 signatures within two weeks. Public commentary about Snowden's leaks has been mixed. Former Vice President Dick Cheney called Snowden a traitor. Hardly a surprise there. While former member of Congress and libertarian icon Ron Paul said Americans should be thankful for people like Snowden, who he said had done a great service to the American people by exposing the truth about what our government is doing in secret. Journalist Glenn Greenwald, who received the documents, he of the, uh, the Guardian newspaper in London praised Snowden, who he said had done a service by revealing the surveillance on the American public. Amy Davidson, writing in The New Yorker, said Snowden is the reason our country has, in the last week, been having a conversation on privacy and the limits of domestic surveillance. That was overdue, and one wishes it had been prompted by self-examination on the part of the Obama administ- administration or real oversight by Congress. Again, that's Amy Davidson writing in The New Yorker. John uh, David, or sorry, John Cassidy, also of The New Yorker, called Snowden a hero and said that in revealing the colossal scale of the U.S. government's eavesdropping on America or on Americans and other people around the world, 
Edward Snowden has performed a great public service that more than outweighs any breach of trust he may have committed. CNN columnist Douglas Rushkoff also called Snowden's leak an act of heroism. He's also been praised by some political commentators for exposing secret government surveillance to the public, among them Chris Hedges and Michael Moore. I guess those would be the the more left-leaning commentators. And then on the right, you have people like Glenn Beck, Matt Drudge, Alex Jones, Michael Savage, again, praising the actions of Edward Snowden. Other commentators have been more critical of his methods and motivations. Some expressed out, uh, particular concern about his seeking refuge in Hong Kong. For instance, New York Times columnist David Brooks accused Snowden of betraying the Constitution, stating the founders did not create the United States so that some solitary 29-year-old could make unilateral decisions about what should be exposed. In response, Amy Davidson called Brooks' perspective odd because the founding fathers of the United States created the Constitution to allow a solitary voice to be heard despite any power structures, and they would not want a 29-year-old to feel so overcome with gratitude uh, for his social betters, so humbled that they had noticed him, that he would be silent. Conservative Republican political commentator and blogger Eric Erickson criticized Snowden for fleeing to the communists. And Jeffrey Tubin of The New Yorker, while stating that the news leaks are normal and even indispensable in a society with a free press, characterized Snowden's approach as reckless. We are back with Joel Skousen, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. Now, before we get back to the Snowden affair and his... Uh, uh, his seeking asylum in uh, various locations. Uh, first, let us know how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief. Well, the World Affairs Brief is a has a modest subscription price to support my work. It's showcased on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and I allow people to request a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. All right. Now, we, uh, we know that Snowden first went to, uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, the United States asked uh, China to extradite. Uh, they don't have an extradition treaty, so they refused. Next, uh, we heard, was that uh, Snowden uh, turned up in uh, the transfer area in the, uh, the airport, I guess, in Moscow. Uh, they've, now, Putin has been very vocal that he has no intention of uh, extraditing to the United States. So what's next for Snowden? Where does he go? Where do you think he'll end up? Well... He had intended to go originally to uh, either Iceland or Ecuador, and Ecuador loomed large as a potential because, or Venezuela, because both of them have very anti-U.S. Marxist presidents. Uh, President Correa in uh, Ecuador has been very vocal in his uh, criticism of the United States over the years, and that looked like a likely spot. But he is being tutored by WikiLeaks, who has a lot of experience running from uh, the United States Secret Services. They currently have uh, asylum status in uh, the London Embassy of Ecuador, where Julian Assange is there. WikiLeaks itself has asylum in Iceland, which is providing some uh, protection. But it's only a partial protection. You've got to remember the United States has covert black operations teams and assassins and kidnap teams. They can snatch anyone from almost anywhere, especially in Latin America, where you can buy your way through anything. 
and I suspect they could do so in a small city-state like Iceland if they wanted to. And so Snowden was, was particularly savvy about going into the Chinese realm because even though it's in Hong Kong, the Chinese do control Hong Kong. He had to leave there, though, because the U.S. does have the capability of snatching people in Hong Kong. And that's why he went to Russia. Russia guaranteed him pr protection while he was seeking asylum. Uh, that's the only reason you'd go the wrong direction if you're heading for Venezuela. It's the opposite direction to go to Moscow to get there. Uh, and, in fact, he even played a trick on the all the journalists who were going to try to interview him on the flight going to Havana and then to Venezuela or Ecuador, booking a flight on a plane. All the journalists rushed to book a flight, and then he didn't show up. And the door closes, and all of a sudden these people are shipped off to Havana, Cuba, and with no way to get off the plane. So they're a little bit frustrated now about trying to find uh, Snowden. But the, the essence of the situation is this. Ecuador, by law, internally, cannot give asylum to anyone unless they're actually on Ecuadorian territory, and that includes any embassy that Ecuador has. So he doesn't qualify. Also, um, the United States got on the telephone with Correa uh, a couple of days ago, and whatever they said to him, uh, we're now getting feedback from Correa that he's not probably going to go through with asylum. He's reconsidering. He's showing he's waffling. Trade sanctions, perhaps? A threat of trade sanctions? Well, that's already been in the in the works. In fact, Ecuador voted to just simply do away with trade sanctions, so that would not be a uh, uh, a criteria of threat that they could use on him. So I think they use something else. And frankly, they can get on the phone with any president and say, "Listen, you know, you're not safe. We can take anybody out unless they're maybe in Russia and China that we want to." And in Korea, I think had the fear of the, the CIA put into him, and so I don't think he's going to be going. To, uh, to Ecuador. Uh, Venezuela is another possibility, but the U.S. has a lot of black operations capability in Venezuela as well, anywhere in the Caribbean. Iceland, you know, it's just too small a state. It has no army. It has just a minor police force. The CIA could take them out any time they wanted to in, uh, and, and remove them. So, you know, I think there's a better-than-average chance he's going to end up staying in Russia. And the reason I say that is, the first place, I can tell you the Russians have him in productive custody already, and he's not at the transit airport, uh, because there's no place to live there day in and day out, except those capsule hotels, and he's not there. No one's seen him. He's also being accompanied by Sarah Harrison, Britain, uh, the attorney for WikiLeaks, and, uh, you know, that's two people they're having to house there. WikiLeaks seem to know exactly where he is, and so... It appears that the Russians are playing games with uh, WikiLeaks. Everybody's having a heyday, making the U.S. look like a fool, demanding, threatening, cajoling, and everyone thumbing their nose at him and saying, you know, you, you made this bed for yourself. You're going to have to sleep in it. We're not going to help you. And now, you and I have talked uh, before about Vladimir Putin, and, uh, you know, he is certainly no angel. I, uh, one of the reasons that I'm not a, a Putin fan, but I, I'm glad that, uh, we, that, there, that Russia is able to um, assume the role of this countervailing force, uh, particularly on the, the geopolitical scene uh, in places like, uh, you know, Syria and so forth. Uh, but is there any danger uh, um, do, you, do you foresee where you have someone with sensitive information like Snowden, uh, basically in the in the clutches of a Vladimir Putin? Well, let's look at the, the actual uh, 
I mean, uh, obviously the U.S. doesn't want Snowden to know or to tell Russia how much we're able to penetrate them. And it is total. Uh, we have a great deal of ability to penetrate uh, into Russia and to decipher all of their codes, and Snowden's going to know that as well as Russia or as well as China. But we don't, we have very limited sources in terms of real life spies. We do have some, you know, all of your embassy uh, diplomatic employees in Moscow are uh, work also for the CIA, and the, the Russians know that. They know that all of our, all of their people in the United States are spies. I mean, that's no secret. Exactly who's who and who they have in the business field and who are the Russian spies. If Snowden has any of that information, that could be very damaging to our people. I do not believe that Snowden would give up that. He seems to have a good conscience. He understands what would be damaging to people. He has no intention of betraying anybody in the United States. I wouldn't doubt that he might not hesitate to uh, tell them some open things that, um, in terms of how much capability. And certainly if he stays in Russia, he's going to be expected to tell the Russians about the spying. And I might say this about Snowden. As a libertarian, he's a little bit naive about the fact that Russia and China are ultimate threats to the West and the United States. Um, and so he does not realize, he seems to be a believer that they are, had gone through a revolution, the, the, the phony fall of the Soviet Union, he probably believes is real. And so he's, he does have this misplaced confidence that China and Russia offer some protection for free speech, and they do not. Do you think he's a hero? I think... I think he's a courageous person um, that uh, was willing to blow the whistle. Um, I'm not sure I would lead it to hero status, but uh, I certainly admire when someone's willing to blow the whistle on illegal, patently illegal actions of spying, not only worldwide but domestically, which is clearly against the Constitution. So I'm in favor of, of Snowden's uh, ultimate escape to safety. Joel Skousen is the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief here on The Conspiracy Show. We're talking about the Snowden Affair. Uh, it has been speculated, and I'm, and I'm sure you followed this trail as well, uh, people that, uh, researchers and, and, and so forth, that have claimed that Snowden is, I don't know what you would call him, a, a double agent or a plant. Uh, and I've never been able to figure out, well, to what end. Uh, you know, why would, why would they want someone to purposely divulge this information, to leak this information? But have you been following that sort of that, that line of thinking, and what are your thoughts if so? I have. The major proponent of that theory is John Rappaport, who is a Canadian, and uh, he has said that he thinks that this is, uh, the whole story is fabricated, that Snowden is not a whistleblower, that he's working for the CIA still to embarrass the, the NSA. Now, Rappaport is, is basing this on old information that used to be in the United States where there was infighting between the white sides of the NSA, the OSI, or the uh, follow, uh, which became the CIA, the, the um, ONI, and you know, the DNI. There's all kinds of intelligence agencies, Army, Navy, Air Force, etc., and they had this infighting relationship with the CIA. But most of that is done on the white side. There is a dark side for every one of these agencies, and they are a monolithic block. They do not attack one another. They do not cut, undercut their territory because they're run by a central hierarchy. Uh, and that's what's important to understand. So Rappaport, 
rationale for this, the CIA is trying to undercut the NSA, is absolutely untrue. Would never be allowed by the powers that be. All right, Joel, we'll, we'll step away again. We'll come back and continue to talk about the Snowden affair and the U.S. spying scandal right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Joel Skousen stays with us as we continue to talk about the Snowden affair. Uh, Joel, we were talking about uh, John Rappaport's uh, um, recent article in which he uh, speculated that Snowden may in fact be, uh, be maybe being used by the CIA to embarrass the National Security Agency. And the thinking is that there is all this among the alphabet intelligence groups, there is this infighting and you're... Uh, sort of disabusing of this, of this notion, and you wanted to, uh, to, to continue uh, on with that line of thinking. Well, basically John's thinking is, and I might say in, in criticizing John, uh, I'm generally respectful of his point of view on, on many different subjects, but I tend to disagree here. He basically has this view that the NSA is this all-powerful spying agency that sees and knows all, and therefore there's no way that John or that uh, Edward Snowden could have escaped or been critical or set himself up and collect all this without them knowing it, that uh, he wouldn't have had access to this. And if he did have access, that they made it easier for him to get access, planted him with information so that he would be used as a disinformation source to Russia and China, who would eventually be the recipients of this disinformation. But let me counter some of those. First of all, the notion that he's, you know, high school dropout and that he's too good to be true because he suddenly got this high position with Booz Allen Hamilton of $200,000 a year, you just don't make that kind of leap. But you do, in my opinion, if the CIA takes a hold and says, all right, we see this guy's got some innate abilities, let's train him. And he becomes in-house trainee, which is apparently what happened. And in terms of access, while it's true that no single analyst has the kind of access that Snowden does, You've got to remember that he claims, at least, that he his purpose in the CIA and in Booz Allen was IT control of um, the firewalls. If you control the firewalls, then you can let yourself in. And so he could have seen everything that's available in that uh, organization if he was one of those people in, the, in control of the firewall situation. Now, the last argument I have about the fact that the CO, uh, CIA would probably, if anybody, know where he is and be able to track everything that he goes and says and does in combination with the CIA. While that may be true, their ability to do anything about it is a completely different thing that John Rappaport does not discuss. In other words, if you decide you're going to take somebody out, if you're going to go and capture him, once he's become public and he's got this safety net built around him, then you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. The biggest thing that the U.S. is facing about this situation is the, the appearance of a thug, the appearance of a bully towards someone who is innocently only trying to alert the world, and the world is very sympathetic to what he's alerting them to, of illegal spying worldwide by this agency. And so their ability to grab him or use excessive force is limited unless they want to deal with the... Uh, you know, the fallout. Well, let's talk about the fallout. fallout. We'll take another time out here, Joel. When we come back, we'll talk about the fallout because uh, obviously PRISM, uh, this system is not just being used to monitor phone calls within the United States, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, The United States' European allies are also caught up in this and we'll we'll talk about what the reaction has been around the world uh, to the Snowden affair. Back with more of my conversation with Joel Skousen, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Stay with us. 
Joel Skousen stays with us for a few moments yet, the editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Uh, again, quickly, Joel, how do people subscribe? Um, they go to my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and there's a big subscribe button there. But it, as it points out in the uh, synopsis of the current brief, people can request a free sample copy by emailing the editor of worldaffairsbrief.com. So editor at worldaffairsbrief.com for a free sample issue. It's a great publication. I really uh, encourage people to to subscribe. You're going to get information there you don't get anywhere else, and which is why we uh, we enjoy having Joel Skousen on the program. Joel, it's interesting that uh, uh, President Obama was uh, speaking at the uh, Brandenburg Gates, of course, where uh, President Reagan made his famous uh, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall speech, and uh, a generation earlier, of course, Kennedy's Ich bin ein Berliner speech. Uh, and yet, uh, we had uh, uh, Obama talking about uh, you know the, the the need to combat global uh, global uh, warming and so forth, uh, ignoring the elephant in the room, and that is that uh, the Germans and much of the EU uh, is totally uh, uh, ticked off at the United States because of this, this this Snowden revelation that the United States is spying not only on its enemies but also on its supposed allies. Well, and it's worse than that because they're livid with their own government. German Interior Minister Hans-Peter Friedrich was basically defending the NSA and saying, you know, criticizing is not how you treat your friends. And uh, Der Spiegel, the, the Times Mirror of Germany, came out and said, you know, the American Union, or European Union must protect the continent from America's reach for omnipotence. We are being watched all the time and everywhere, and it is the Americans that are doing the watching. And so they're very, very much upset. The government has been in bed with the NSA for years, not only in terms of extraordinary rendition, terror and torture and secret prisons, uh, but uh, as uh, uh, Mr. Madsen, who was quoted in The Guardian uh, yesterday, and they took it down today, his article said there's six European countries, the Netherlands, Belgium, uh, Italy, France, and Germany, and uh, and Denmark that were completely complicit with NSA spying in Europe. And so uh, this is a real big thing. There's a black mark upon the U.S. There's an ugly American feeling growing about the government. Not the People are clearly between Americans who are as victimized as this as they are, but the government, our government's looking more like the bully of the world. If uh, if the German uh, government is perceived as you know cozying up to uh, the Obama administration, uh, could this have some sort of fallout in the uh, the upcoming elections in Germany, which of course are pivotal? I mean, you have an anti-European uh, Union party uh, that's going to be on the ballot. Uh, could this perhaps have even you know far-reaching unex- unintended consequences? I mean, perhaps even uh, the the unraveling of the EU. Well, you know, I've, I've long felt that if there was a tipping point that could turn people, it would be the knowledge that our government was totally aggressive, a lying government that you couldn't ever trust it, saying, and it was spying on everybody. It should enrage people. That has not been the case in America, sadly enough. People are taking this in stride. They're believing all the assurances. The government is totally unrepentant, relying upon this phony war on terror to justify this, and people seem to be buying it. I'm very, very disappointed. Uh, I think uh, knowing what they've done during the bailouts and how many people predicted that the EU would fall apart because of this financial squeeze there in Europe and the collapse of uh, um, 
Cyprus and, and Greece and other type of uh, banking systems, and it hasn't happened. I did say this is the crown jewel of form, formative stages of globalism. They will not let the EU fall apart. They'll do anything to keep this going so that globalism, which is their ultimate goal, will come about. And how uh, how is this being perceived in the United Kingdom, another staunch American ally? Well, uh, the United Kingdom is fairly much in line with the American public. Their people have been placated by the media on this. All of the uh, people in power in Britain are supporting the NSA. This is a necessary evil. And besides, they're not reading. They're just collecting, and they won't read it without warrant. That's totally untrue, by the way. They have automatic software to decipher all the telephone calls. They, they get them into a format that can be sorted and, and, and compiled. So this is major spying, and it's economic spying. It's on banking spying. It's on credit card spying. They're putting, making up dossiers on everyone that are instantly available when they want to go after someone's profile. We've had uh, intelligence leaks before, and many of us have long suspected that we're being surveilled. Why is this case different? Why is the Snowden affair important? Well, the Snowden affair is important because he's got the actual documents to prove it. You know, it's just Binney's, William Binney's word against the NSA. Who is William Binney? He wasn't able to sneak any documents. He just says what he was saying. And there's two or three other whistleblowers, Russ Tice, that says they were... Uh, that he's seen the actual uh, wiretaps that they have on police and lawyers and lobbyists. Everybody who works in Washington and New York and Toronto and Ottawa, you know, has their phones tapped, and they, they're getting dirt on everyone. That's how they control these politicians. But when you ask him, where's the proof, where's the paperwork, he doesn't have it in his hand. Snowden has the paperwork in his hand. That's what makes this different. That's what makes this significant. And to what end? I mean, that's, are they ramping? Greenwald's, well, that's why Greenwald's uh, place was broken into in Brazil, and his laptop was stolen. Uh, the government wanted to know what he got from Snowden. I, I wanted to ask you uh, that next, actually. What do you think uh, Mr. Greenwald's fate will be? But before we get to that, I, I, do you get a sense, though, that, that this um, surveillance is being ramped up? And uh, if so, you know, what is the end game here? Well, you have to remember, at least this is my geopolitical theory, it explains why the United States has been playing up to and covering for the remilitarization of both Russia and China, and that is that they ultimately want a major third world war with those two countries, so that it pushes Americans and British and Europeans and Canadians into a global government. And in order to do that, you've got to create an image of the U.S. as the bully of the world. So in essence, even though the U.S. didn't want this out in this large a quantity, because they tend to want to have purposeful leaks incrementally, as happened during in 2007 with the Bush leaks of spying, and then they got Congress to pass an authorization to increase FISA court uh, power so that they could allow this. I mean, to actually come out and legally say we can allow this global spying, they just can't do. But in any case, it does work toward the globalist cause of building up the image of the U.S. as the bully of the world. And that is what Russia and China need to eventually justify striking the West. If somebody's got to stop this spying and this bully of the world. And we have handed them a great, huge advantage and excuse to take us out someday as a nation uh, because we are being the bully of the world and we're having to admit it.
It's also a nice way for the intelligence or the national security state, if you will, to test the waters in terms of how far they can go with this before uh, you know, their own citizens start to, uh, to rebel. And as you've, you said, they've totally acquiesced on this. So they've basically handed the National Security Agency and the, and the CIA and so forth carte blanche. They can go as far as they want, apparently. Well, that's what's disturbing to me, Richard. It's very, very disturbing that the U.S. has not had a massive outcry, that the massive demonstrations stop spying on us and demanding action. Now, sadly enough, we know from the DARPA claim 10 years ago that they were not going to implement the total awareness you know, spy system. We know now they did it anyway, and they just lied to us. And if they said we were going to stop, we couldn't believe them anyway. And you see, this is the ultimate problem that we have in America is that how do you prosecute these people if they control the surveillance machinery? How do you get court evidence on these people unless you, our people, the good guys, get control and can wiretap their phones? But they've got control on that. Even if you elected a Ron Paul, he'd never be able to get the NSA to tell him the truth because they control the machinery. And the courts? And they control the courts. I mean, it's incredible how many judges are bought off and controlled and threatened so that, I mean, even like a Judge Roberts uh, claiming to be a conservative, but boy, when he, they needed a vote to pass Obamacare, he turned on them and gave them the vote. And I think they've got dirt on, uh, on uh, Supreme Court Justice Roberts. How far back does this level of uh, sophistication uh, go in terms of uh, surveillance technology? Uh, where I'm going with this is I'm thinking... If you go back to, to 9-11 and people like Condoleezza Rice saying there was no way we could have anticipated, you know, planes being flown in. If they had PRISM back then, then they would have no excuse. They would have uh, – there's no, uh, you know, plausible way for them to say that we had no foreknowledge. Obviously, uh, if they can intercept, uh, you know, everything. everything, then they would have had to have known. So how do they explain that away? Well, they explained it away by saying that we didn't have that capability, and that's why we need it. But in fact, they did have most of that. We know that every one of the hijackers was in the FBI computers already. And that isn't because they were surveilling them. It's because they were working through CIA and other black operations in order to pull down the, the 9-11, which was a government operation from beginning to end. But they're using this as an excuse to say, we needed that capability. It was a great failure. And so we're now much safer because we do intercept everything. But then again, it didn't stop the Boston Marathon bombing. And they've already, we know they had the capability fully operational by then. How do we fight back, Joel? Or is it too late? I think it's too late. I hate to say this, but I believe this conspiracy of power has grown so strong. They control so much. They don't have absolute control, but they have effective control over Congress, the courts, the surveillance. CIA, the FBI, the DEA, they run drugs, they do all of this stuff. How do you stop it? I don't know of any way to stop it. So the only hope that I have is that in the war that they bring upon us, which will, uh, you know, be a horrendous uh, thing happening to North America, total loss of electrical power for months at a time, not to mention destruction of military bases, I think that they'll be reforming. People will be forced to flee from major cities. I think they have regroup in areas which hopefully we can have suddenly majorities in areas of Western Canada and Western United States that will be able to fight back and say, no, we're not going to join this new world order. We know what you've done. We don't like it. But we're also spread out now. 
in the East and other places so that we don't have a majority. People would vote against us. They want the security. They believe government. We need to have a separation. I think we need a Western Canada and a Western United States, somebody to resurrect out of this war and, and fight back against this new world order. Joel, a pretty dire warning and uh, a pretty pessimistic uh, uh, a viewpoint. I'm sorry to hear there is uh, sort of no upside to this or no way to fight well, back. I'm about as big as expert there is on the dark side of government, and I can tell you, the more you know, the more you realize how powerful they are. But I can only hope that God has a way for us, and prepared a way for us to have some way out of it. But I don't see it unless we survive the war, which I think you can survive if you prepare and you prepare to resurrect the liberty movement, just like the American Revolution. You've got to fight tyranny with a revolution, but you've got to do it after we have a tremendous cataclysm. It just won't be done in the fat, dumb, and happy world that we all live in. Well, Joel, on that uh, happy note, uh, thank <laughs> you so much for this, and uh, stay safe, be well, and we'll talk again soon, God willing. All right. Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. And that about does it. Uh, My thanks to James Dooley sitting in for uh, Tim Spreen. Good job, James. And, of course, uh, back next week with a a new program for you, Nick Redfern with a brand-new book on monsters and uh, a new film called Sirius. We'll talk to the the, uh, director and producer of that uh, film, uh, spearheaded by uh, Dr. Stephen Greer of the uh, UFO Disclosure Movement, of course. And uh, in the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.